this is Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we continue with Leszczycki as I Knew Him, written by Ethel Newcomb and published in 1921 by D. Appleton and Company. Chapter 16 Leszczycki's pupils came from all over the world. Many were very quiet and unassuming, others quite the reverse. They came to him recommended in all sorts of ways, by all kinds of people, by artists, whether strangers or friends, by people of prominence, by committees, or by managers. He never seemed to forget his first impressions. "'I want to recommend to you most warmly,' ran a letter from a beautiful and distinguished woman then in a far country, "'this dear boy who is going to Vienna to study with the greatest master we know. Allow me to tell you something about his character, great master.' His parents have refused their support, because he is determined to be an artist. He refuses now the money and support of his friends, and did not ask for this letter, which I am writing entirely on my own responsibility. Hm, remarked Leszczycki. A good trait. He writes very well, and has travelled a great deal, the letter went on. Through his visits to all parts of the world he has become a many-sided and interesting person, but he has given more of his time to writing than to anything else. Consequently, he is beginning rather late to concentrate his mind on playing the instrument of his choice. Hmm, said Leszczycki again, but in another tone. However, he is still young, and we trust to the genius and kind attention of the great master— to show him the way to achieve his heart's desire. We firmly believe our young friend will not disappoint his host of friends in this part of the world, etc. There you have it, exclaimed Leszczycki. These beautiful and well-meaning ladies put upon me the responsibility of making an artist of a man already grown up who has never really played or studied music seriously at all. What fault are all? but i like one thing about him he doesn't want to live on other people that is rather unusual these days well when he comes we shall see it is better to have an interesting dilettante than some of those that are here now they make my blood boil they come to me recommended over and over again and they are really worse than the untalented just showy and conceited and stupid Leszczycki was constantly bombarded by the untalented, whom he always discouraged and sent away, telling them never to come to him again. Some of these discarded pupils went quietly away to study elsewhere, and would perhaps return later, better equipped. Others tried their luck at the good Vienna Conservatory, but there were always many persistent ones who remained and sought an occasional lesson with him. There were times when Vienna was filled with these noisy, self-styled pupils of Leszczycki, who made a great show with their big technique. 
the Viennese, with their innate musical sense, hardly knew how to accept this class of students, whose limitations, in the opinion of the Viennese critics, reflected somewhat upon Leschetizky's reputation as a teacher. Often his friends thought they saw a miracle being performed, but as soon as his influence was removed from their studies, their careers were apt to end in failure. He wanted his pupils to become musicians, if they were not already such, as well as mere pianists, and to have his full approval required the utmost seriousness in the cultivation of chamber music, the study of composition, and, among other things, the ability to accompany singers. To play the piano, he contended, one must understand composition, be a singer and accompanist altogether. It was a long time, indeed fully a year, before the dear boy, recommended by the beautiful lady, was ready for a lesson with the master. He had sent him to me for his preparation, and he was now as fit as I could make him for his first lesson. He had studied with great intelligence and determination, had acquired a technique, but I could not see that he had made any improvement beyond that point. I had asked Leschetizky if he thought my pupil had better go to study with some other assistant, and he had only replied that he dreaded the time when he should have to hear this pupil play, for his troubles, he said, were most likely incurable. If the fault in him is purely technical, he said, he might possibly try another assistant, for you all have your different ways of getting at the same thing, but I have a real premonition of difficulty with this young man, interesting as his personality seems to be in other respects besides music. As the time approached for this pupil to go to Leschetizky, he seemed to look forward to his first lesson as a most interesting adventure, and had presented me with a written imaginary account of it which I found most amusing. This gay attitude might please Leschetizky, and it might not, and so, with some misgivings on my part, we went out together to Leschetizky's house in plenty of time to compose ourselves, remembering one of his frequent admonitions never to begin the new thing badly. We waited in the room called by the students the torture chamber. Another lesson was going on that had evidently begun badly. Leschetizky was occasionally prevailed upon to give one or two lessons to some persistent student who remained in Vienna, in spite of his advice to give up trying to play. Great pressure was often brought to bear upon him to give such a lesson, and it was much to his credit that he often complied, in the belief that he might have erred in his quickly formed judgment of the pupil's capabilities. But some lessons went badly in spite of every concession on the part of Leschetizky, and from these failures grew the unfair criticism that he was a cruel and impossible person to study with. He appeared suddenly at the door, looking very dejected and annoyed, and asked me to come into the music room to interpret for him. "'Here is a terrible specimen,' he said. "'One of those who either refuse to speak or do not know how.' I cannot find out what language he speaks, if he speaks any at all. Whether he is English, or American, or Australian, I don't know. You must tell me where to place him. You will have to wait, anyway, he said, consulting his watch. 
that is, thirty minutes more, and you might as well come in and enjoy yourself. Dreadful it is. I have already spent thirty minutes and more. Your pupil may come in, too, if he likes, he said, looking witheringly at him. We followed him into the music room, and the lesson proceeded. Ask him if he knows what I am saying, said Leshetitsky to me. Certainly, replied a raw and trumpet-like voice in English. But I do not believe in being talked to this way. I've done nothing. He understands you, I translated to Leshetitsky, but he says you confuse him. If he understands, it's all the worse, growled Leshetitsky. I don't get along with people who won't speak. Do you want me to speak louder? suddenly shouted Leshetitsky at the top of his voice. You see, I can do it, cried he. No response came from the pupil at the piano. The other one was bursting with suppressed laughter and clutching his chair for support. There are all kinds of men, continued Leshetitsky. The little ones talk more. It takes a big one to be surly and silent. I can't make him say a word, no matter what I do. He would not speak if a bomb exploded at his feet. One day a little one came to see me in Berlin, a nice little talkative one, and forgot to take his hat off. Take your hat off, I said. You are in a civilized country. He removed his hat with an apology and flung it the whole length of the room. Pick your hat up, I said. This isn't my house, and even if it were, there's a place to put things. But the little one went on talking so fast it was hard to stop him. Give me the little ones. I understand them better because they'll talk. Play, commanded Leshetitsky suddenly. We've got to go through this ordeal. The pupil was the kind with a heavy, hard technique. He pounded fearfully so that Leshetitsky had to shout to stop him. Do you think this is a circus? he asked. Am I obliged to listen to such playing? It hurts my ears, and if you had any ears, it would hurt yours. I tell you, my dear sir, it would be better if you did not come to me. I cannot bear it. I have too much respect for the piano to see it struck that way. He says nothing, you see, said Leshetitsky to me after a pause. You cannot say bow to a goose, can you? He resumed, turning to the wretched pupil. You can just pound the poor piano. Why did you come alone? asked Leshetitsky. Where is your teacher? I asked her not to come, said the pupil in fairly intelligible German. Ah, exclaimed the master, a word at last. Perhaps you would like to tell me that she is to blame for some of your bad playing? Perhaps she is, retorted the pupil. There, you see, said Leshetitsky, you are that kind of man. I would like to inform you that I feel I owe her an apology for asking her to teach you. But she knew how to manage you. She understands you. Did she forget to remind you to speak respectfully of her? I heard of a very impertinent remark you made of her on one occasion. You are the kind to say such things. Do you understand me? No reply. I'll hear one more thing on her account, the poor creature. What else have you brought me? A piece of mine. Well, where are the notes? You haven't brought them? Now what do you expect me to do? Search twenty minutes for the notes? It's so kind of you to have brought me one of my own pieces. Thank you very much. We will not hear it today. We can perhaps get over a bar or two of the other. 
I think I know where to find the notes of that. Of course, you have not brought them either? No. Now, let me ask you what you think you are playing. It is a nocturne, I believe, and you are playing at the piano. You certainly are not in a bowling alley here. You do not have to take any such postures at the piano. Why do you hate everything so? asked Leshetitsky. Hatred makes people play as you play. It is not entirely that you do not know how to play. You have a little mind. I can see that by your technique. But you must lie awake nights, hating people, hating the piano. Couldn't you lie awake for something better than that? Oh, can't you smile? Can't you say something? Something to give me some notion of what you are thinking. Perhaps you are thinking of a beefsteak. No, I came here to play, said the youth finally. Well, I wish you would play then, and not pound, pursued Leshetitsky. Yes, you will never want oysters and champagne. You'll never buy them either with money you earn by playing the piano. I suppose I am here to learn to play and not to talk, said the pupil to me. What did he say? asked Leshetitsky. He says he supposed you wanted him to play only and not to talk. I translated. You are not telling me the truth, said Leshetitsky. I saw in his face what he meant. If you had wanted to play today, said the master, trying to keep his temper, you have had the chance. We have been waiting for it a long time, and have been ready to listen with attention. But does it never occur to you that you were not born to play? It is not playing. Don't you understand? There is no modulation in your tone, because there is none in your mind or heart either. This organ here, continued Leshetitsky, putting his hand to his heart, is an important factor in all art. The only excuse you have for playing any instrument is that you have a heart, and that your heart inspires you to express yourself in beautiful tones. You won't put anything into your music until your nature changes, and that, believe me, is the hardest thing in the world to change. I don't like such natures as yours. Do you understand? A wiggle only from the pupil. I prefer my man here in the house, who can speak when he is expected to. He does exactly as he is told. He walks softly across the room, is respectful, really respectful, is not conceited, and is intelligent. Oh, yes, he is intelligent. You don't believe it, but he is. What do you think I can change in your nature in this one hour? He went on, waxing more intense with every word. Strong fingers are easy enough to get, and even technique. I don't see that you are any too intelligent in that, even. Now, we will take a few notes at a time. The pupil began. Bang, said Leshetitsky. Hit it again, that's right. Hit it a little harder. Perhaps you'll break a string, and then I'll have the pleasure of mending it, said Leshetitsky. But why that crescendo there? At one of the classes, replied the pupil, I heard you say good when Friedman played it that way. You don't mean that you actually heard that, said Leshetitsky. Then you are not deaf at any rate. Perhaps I did say it, but Friedman can do these things where you cannot. Tell me, said Leshetitsky, did you ever hear of the inch more on a man's nose? 
Well, that changes the whole expression of his face. And so does this crescendo also change the whole expression of that phrase. If you knew how to place that crescendo, it would be all right. But you do not, and you never will. Never, never. I tell you, take this one note. No, no, just one. I didn't ask for any others. One note, you see, is too much for you. You don't know how to strike it. You do not know how to hear it, to say nothing of giving it any relation to the notes around it, as Friedman does. Leshetitsky rose and walked down the room, trying to be patient. And they told me that some people considered him talented, we heard him say. They have written no end of letters about him. What then is talent, I ask you? Johann, he calls to the butler, who is passing down the hall. Johann, come here. Now, I want to show these people that it is perfectly easy to play one note exactly as I say. I believe you can do it. Johann appeared very timid, but interested and bright-eyed. Now, said the master of us all to Johann, sit back in the chair as comfortably as if you were sitting in one of those rocking chairs that you saw once. Put your hands over these keys, he said, showing him three keys in the bass. Make this one finger a little longer than the others, so that it will strike with a different sound. Don't look at them any more now. You don't need to, do you, if you have your hand over them? But look up here at this group, showing him a group of keys some distance up the keyboard. Now, said Leszczytski, I want you to strike the ones under your hand, but keep your eyes upon the others. And as you strike, move up to the ones you have your eyes upon. Shall I strike them too? asked the butler. No, replied the master. That's just it. We are trying to do only one. The butler, who knew not one note of music, took the cord under his shaped hand, throwing his arm around with a graceful sweeping motion to the other cord that he had religiously kept his eyes upon, and waited without playing further. "'Is that difficult?' asked Leshetitsky. "'No, sir,' said the butler. "'Well, you see,' continued Leshetitsky, "'you have grace of motion.' Not everyone can do that as well as you did. Thank you. I will now go on with the lesson. You cannot do that to save your life, he said, turning to the pupil. That was a far better tone than any of yours. And why, he said, because his motions are graceful and smooth and easy. He doesn't even know the kind of tone he wants, as you ought to know, if you call yourself a student of music. But you, you don't know what a beautiful tone is. My dear sir, said Leshetitsky with sudden emphasis, to play the piano one must have all kinds of qualifications that you have not. Grace of motion, a quick eye, a good ear, but, above all, intelligence, and a little tiny bit of feeling. Ever so little of that will keep you from pounding the piano as you do, I have now spent over an hour of my time that I consider valuable trying to make you do what the butler can do in five minutes. I have had enough of this. You and I may possibly meet again in our lifetime, but if we do, said Leshetitsky, it will not be at the piano. This occasion was embarrassing, to say the least. 
I looked at my pupil, but happily, I believed, I detected spirit in his eye rather than fear. Splendid, he said to me in a whisper. A cherny etude, said Leshetitsky to my pupil. No, not this one or the next two in the book. I have heard them enough today. Play one of the others, the one in double notes, he said, flinging himself into the chair. Bad, he exclaimed at the end. Too fast, and you lost two notes of it. That must not occur in a good technique. Why are you studying the piano? asked Leshetitsky, wheeling around at him. Because I would like to be able to do something well said my pupil. Leshetitsky looked at him with impatience. That is not enough for me, he said. If you haven't talent, you'd better not come here. I think I have some talent, said the pupil. You don't look it, replied Leshetitsky. You are not artistic looking in the least. Perhaps you would be a little ashamed of looking artistic, would you not? Probably I am right. Be thankful in these days if you can look like anything. It isn't easy to distinguish oneself in anything in this world. There are too many good ones now. You imagine you are far above that awful person that we've just got rid of, but I am not so certain of it. You have at least some things in common, I tell you. Letters of recommendation from foolish women, for instance. I know all about him. His people are poor people, and he takes every penny they can earn, sisters and all, to live his own self-centered, conceited life. He lets them think he is a genius. His sealskin coats someone else provides. He has apartments, mind you, apartments. He is not a modest student. Oh, no, he's full of conceit. So are you, probably." and he is hard, hard in his playing, hard in his character. He'll never get anywhere, believe me, nor will any man who hides behind petticoats. Doting, silly women are not discriminating. They help you along for a while, and then, where are you? Worse off than ever. I tell you, they are the first to go back on you as soon as you do not obey them and flatter them. I don't like the type, said Leshetitsky, growling. He stopped talking suddenly and took a look at the pupil who had just risen from his piano and appeared to be staring simply at the keyboard. "'You are a great master,' said the young man with great dignity and in perfect French. "'You may be right in regard to some people, but are entirely mistaken in my case. I do not intend to be spoken to as you are speaking now.' With this he started to go, but Leshetitsky slipped around the piano and stood with his back to the door, barring the way. "'You are angry,' said Leshetitsky. "'I was angry, too, but I shall forget it now, as you have given me the real pleasure of being treated like a human being. Won't you come back? You had a right to be angry, and ought to have told me that if I were younger you would have known better how to treat me.' That is exactly what you were thinking a moment ago. But I thank you for speaking a sensible word to me and convincing me that I was wrong. Today has been too much for me. Some people think I am a machine to be turned on here from one o'clock until five. They think it makes no difference to me who comes to me. Today I have heard nothing but noises. I could even bear the wrong notes and the inaccuracies. 
but the ear is outraged. The ear becomes tired quicker than the mind. My ear revolts against the hard tones. I come here to the piano to hear it played, and to find intelligence as an aid to arriving at a common understanding, but I do not hear the one nor find the other, and this is such a waste of time when there are so many who deserve to be heard. Why, even the little diffident Viennese girl is beginning to play with expression. Give me the modest ones. Think of those who are here, those who are sympathetic and distinguished people. They are here for study and learning, and they enjoy themselves too, but not too much, you understand. Neither do they advertise themselves in any way. They are too good for that. Do you know the charming Ada Thomas, for instance? No advertising, he repeated. And what does she not know? The whole piano literature. She transposes everything at sight and in tempo. Would she presume to come to me, playing as that man played? People play as they are. She has sympathy in her playing. He has none. There are too many conceited idlers here at present. Conceit! Conceit! he said, throwing his hands in the air and becoming angry again. Not one who can put one bar rhythmically together but I shall have done with them all some time. I'd rather hear Eric Wolf for twenty hours at a stretch. He is more of an accompanist, you understand, but sympathetic and plays softly. He's a lover. It's not bad to be a lover in this world. Love people, love nature. But if you hate people and hate nature, then go and be a woodchopper. But why do these woodchoppers come to me? said he, more calmly and thoughtfully. It's a mystery. They can learn more in the gymnasium, can't they? And these putterers and blubberers who cannot say a word for themselves. Would you not prefer to postpone my lesson? interrupted the pupil. No, said Leshetitsky. Let's sit down and talk it over. Have a cigar? I want to apologize to you and to the charming lady who wrote me on your behalf. My pupil looked so surprised that Leshetitsky laughed. "'I was entirely wrong, I know,' said he, "'and I want to show you that I am not such a savage as you may think. "'You played those Cherny etudes very well indeed, "'but let me ask you now to think as profoundly as you possibly know how to think "'of what you are undertaking if you intend to study to be a real artist. "'Think of what that means.' I take it that you would not be satisfied to be third-rate or even second-rate. You have something first-rate in your personality, and I am convinced that you can do something well, but it is not playing the piano. I want to hear your Beethoven sonata, but I shall be very much surprised if I can honestly change my mind. Are you a good musician? asked the master. Not yet, answered the pupil. An honest word, said Leshetitsky. After the pupil had played a Beethoven sonata, Leshetitsky sat silent for a long time. "'Do you suppose that I have not had my disappointments?' he said. "'I wrote an opera once, called Die Erste Falte. I wanted to write music, but after the first performance of my opera I was convinced that I was not born to be a composer. 
When I came home, I took the manuscript of my piano concerto that had not yet gone to the publishers and threw it into the fire. I wished afterward that I had not done so, but I said to myself, Theodore, do not deceive yourself. Your talent lies in another direction. Turning to the young man, he said, What are you going to do? Leshetitsky looked pale and tired, and so did his pupil. I have decided already, he answered, and shall not study the piano any further. I am sure you are right, said Leshetitsky, but you can do something else better, I believe. I understand that you will not let other people help you, and that you have no special income yourself. How do you live here? I just manage it, he replied, by a little writing. Bravo, said Leshetitsky. That means that you have your audience, so to speak, already. Be happy, then, he went on, and put all that personality of yours into it, and if you do, I am sure you will succeed. I have a son, he said, and he is an officer in the army. I always say to him, what is the use of being a soldier if you do not take the greatest examples of history as your model and try to attain their greatness? What is the use of doing something if you do not do it well, or even of living if you do not live well? But to be happy or even successful, you must judge well what it is possible for you to achieve and not spend your lifetime in striving to do what the other can easily do better.